Welcome to this week's episode of the Gestalten Podcast, presented by Concept House Design, your number one headhunting and consulting service when it comes to transportation, UI, and UX design globally. My name is Martin Groschwald, and I am very happy to present to you our guest this week, which is the uh, fabulous Thomas Bigwood, who used to be head of design for the European studio at Mitsubishi, has worked at Renault for a number of years, was assistant design director at Autobus in Russia as well, and has since been working as design consultant for various different kind of companies globally. And we are talking today mainly about the influence on culture uh, on car design. So enjoy the conversation. I'm pretty sure you will enjoy this. We're talking a lot about Mitsubishi, of course, a lot about Renault, uh, to give you a little bit of an overview up front. If you want to get in contact with Thomas, you will find his contact details in the description of this week's episode. And of course, we do very much appreciate you supporting us with a good rating on Apple iTunes, subscribing to us, you know, sharing it with your friends and with your family and with your colleagues so that we can spread the word on the podcast. Uh, enjoy this week's episode. Enjoy the conversation with Thomas. And here we go. Thomas, welcome to the show. Hey, you good? All good? Thank you very much. Thank you for welcoming me. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I mean, we've been talking about this for quite some time. And we wanted to talk about something. Actually, I've, you know, we, we have this little series, which is about design as a business and understanding that. But there was a conversation which was more related to culture and how culture relates in, in terms of then design as a business. So you have worked in France, Germany. You have worked, obviously, with, you know, Russian companies. You have worked with Japanese companies. So I thought who, who would be better <laughs> to get a little bit of an overview of how all these things come together. So when we talk about culture in general, and we just look at the generic design studio, how does culture of either a company or a country where you're based in affect you as a design decision maker, as well as your team in what the end product will be? How, how is that perceived or is it not perceived at all? Uh, good question, Martin. Um, I would say that, uh, of course, as, as in design management, for instance, um, uh, when I, I uh, worked in Moscow, for, uh, for example, um, the culture, it's something that as a manager, I have to adapt. Mm -hmm. I have to understand it. I have to, to, to really be uh, flexible enough to, to, to really get into how that works over there and how we can uh, implement in one side uh, the needs of our company. Uh, in my case, it was uh, from Renault. So I was sent into Russia uh, uh, as a Renault designer to set up the new design studio in Moscow. Um, and so we have our proper culture at Renault and uh, we had to actually uh, manage to embrace also mm. the local culture. culture. Um, this is a quite difficult task. Um, I would say that depending on the cultures, um, 
if I take the, the Russian culture, it, it's, it's, it's one very tough to actually get in and understand. I would say, I, I couldn't say that I understand it. I understood it completely. They have their own logic. They have their own culture, their own education, their own background. Um, and we had to actually put in place our proper context from Renault and the context from the local culture, mm-hmm. culture together. So that was, yeah, uh, I, I can say that we had some friction sometime, but, um, uh, as a manager, as a design manager, it's very crucial to understand that quickly and uh, uh, get into it. Um, then you can start um, bring your, all, uh, your own context because you have a, a lot more experience in some uh, aspect in the car design more than they can have in Russia because they don't have so many uh, uh, car makers. Yeah. Um, so, of course, we also have to put in place our proper process yeah. that we have to adapt to their own uh, culture. And um, we managed that. Um, they understood that we uh, our processes were uh, very efficient. And then we start to really negotiate in that, uh, in that sense mm-hmm. to, to actually getting along in that and also embrace their culture, which is very rich, very interesting, very interesting also to... To, to grab and then put that in our proper process. Yeah. So when you, you just mentioned, of course, Russia, but you've worked with Chinese companies, you've worked with uh, obviously Mitsubishi before it was part of Renault. So that's, uh, that was the, the, the funny kind of move uh, back then. But when you look for culture as inspiration and you tell your team, Look, we, we need to make a, a product that is fundamentally representing the country that we're in, you know, where, where the country is based. Now, when you have a company such as Renault, which is fundamentally French, and they have areas such as Russia where they have to do specific cars, India is obviously the same kind of direction um, as well, Korea, uh, very specific as well. How do you start that? I mean, do you just say, like, just go to the sketchboard and do what you think? Or, you know, do you... I don't know, like go on trips and un- try to understand what happens around you, what your local customers wants to be want, want to have. Because I always, you know, there, there is this kind of globalization going on and you say like, oh, you know, like a Mercedes can be sold anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they say like, oh, it's German design, but what is German design in that sense? You know, um, the same with Volvo, the same with, you know, pretty much almost any country in the world. But when you're in such a specific market, such as Japan, such as China, such as Russia, how do you deal with that? Is it that almost like you switch off completely what you've known so far about this kind of globalized world and you just go in like, no, we just make it for these kind of people? Yeah, uh, you're right. Actually, switching off is, is a big part of the, of, the, of, the, of the deal, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, if I go back again with the Russian uh, experience, um, they have their, in their own culture, they have a very good talent. They have their, their own taste and uh, that is very important. Uh, I have to mention also that the alliance, Renault, Nissan, Mitsubishi, um, we, we have in that alliance a very strong culture, how we can also adapt to other culture. Basically, mm-hmm. when Renault, Nissan uh, uh, came at, into an alliance um, uh, in 99, um, it was clear that if we want this to work, we need to respect uh, uh, both cultures. Basically, we try to put many things that we can put in common. That's at the scale of the entire company, but it's also the case for the design. But in that respect, 
uh, Renault and Nissan kept their own design center. We managed to exchange uh, uh, mm-hmm. common uh, common uh, parts, common design. But of course, the, the Japanese culture or the, the French culture with Renault, the, the crucial thing is not to have one to lead another one. Yeah. So, and we did the same with uh, with uh, Aftovaz in Russia. Uh, that was also very important. Is we are actually employing Russian people to do the Russian cars. Let's yeah. say. Yeah. So, do you think that's because that's what I always find interesting? Like we. The, the design departments nowadays are so international. Like, you know, you can go to Renault, you see people from Germany, from America, from literally anywhere in the world. Of course, there's a strong base that is French just because it's easy to get these kids in, uh, especially early on. Um, and obviously in China, it's almost like the opposite. is like we have strong leadership coming from outside of China, but then there's a lot of young people that do the work in that one. If you see this cultural influence, which is certainly necessary from these people because you need to understand it firsthand, how does this affect your understanding of then the business side of everything? Because if you have then to go when you were at Autobus and you were Steve Matin and you had to go to Lawrence and say, like, look, this is what we have. Like, we understand this and this and this and that. How do you make the business kind of transition to that and say, like, look, this is, yeah, we are the Westerners here and we're the guests and, like, you know, we understand this, but this is the right direction for us to move forward because, like, I've never seen a Russian, you know, leading autobus. Of, there's very few Chinese that lead Chinese companies. Um, so it's a very interesting kind of way. Like, you know, how do you present that to not say, like, here's the Westerners' opinion, but it's actually, like, you know, the cultural kind of perspective that that's why we need to do that. Um, that that I can I can find very interesting and very difficult I think to do as well. Of course, um, if I take a, a country like Japan, for instance, um, Japan they have of course they have a very strong culture. We know the Japanese brand; it's very strong brands, and they have their own taste. And they, you can see, you can recognize straight from the start. Oh, that is a Japanese style. This is a Japanese feel or Japanese yeah. DNA. Um, that was also very important at Mitsubishi, for instance. Um, when I, I worked there, of course, I was in charge in the studio in Germany. That does not mean that I'm only in charge of uh, uh, designing cars for the European market. Mm-hmm. It was a complete mainstream design studio, yeah. completely part with the, the main uh, design office in Japan. So I had the chance actually to to, to work on, on very different projects like pure Japanese market like mm-hmm. the key cars. Key cars are very difficult. It's something that we are not uh, we are not used to, yeah. to work with as a proportion, as a package. It's very local. And uh, we in the studio in Germany we could work on that. And um, there I had to really uh, try to put my skin in that culture. It was very interesting. I really loved that project at the time. It was probably one of my favorite ones. Uh, even if the car itself, it's not something that all the designer likes to do because the proportions are very odd and it's like a box with very small wheels. Um, but how you can take that from which angle, uh, you can approach that to actually make it right from the start. Because mm-hmm. if you are starting with, uh, uh exaggerated sketches, um, uh, you, you, you will never actually be able to actually tr- translate a completely, uh, exaggerated mm-hmm. or caricatural uh, um, uh, sketches to the package because it would be uh, by essence completely different yeah. and it's very difficult to take the essence of the sketch so I, I, the approach I had in there I said okay 
guys, let's just work on the package straight straight away. Mm -hmm. We don't have room for uh, funny shapes, for for nice uh, transition from the front to the corner or the corner to the side of the car. Um, it let's play on graphics, for yeah. instance. This is probably the best point if we want to have something memorable mm -hmm. uh, in the design of this uh, kind of car. Uh, it's it's mainly graphic mm -hmm. and. Um, And then we started really to to tr to work on a very graphical approach, uh, how the bed line will be with the proportion, um, uh, the shape of the windows, the shape of the lamp, yeah. um, and and when I was working on that, I said, yes, that looks very Japanese yeah. because that was from our European standpoint. Yeah, yeah. But when I presented the sketch in Japan, they said, wow. It's just a lot of European feeling there. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, <laughs> that means uh, it's our proper culture is something that we don't even think about. It's, it's anchored in our body. And then even when we try to, to, to make it uh, uh, very Japanese, um, uh, it's, it's something that I couldn't achieve 100%. Yeah. Does not mean it's bad yeah. because actually what we have uh, uh, shown in the presentation, they kept the project. Mm -hmm. the, the the head of design of Mitsubishi at the time was really, really, really uh, enthusiastic yeah. about that uh, that proposal. He wanted to actually hide it and then show it on the very end, and yeah. uh, and and so we could go very far. And that was also in competition with uh, with Nissan at the mm -hmm. time. So uh, because uh, Mitsubishi Nissan is the joint venture, mm -hmm. so for the K car, it's yeah. very specific, very political. It's it's very important to 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 have that in mind. And um, then, yes, it was a very successful proposal. We went very far away. And then, of course, after that political reason, we had to adapt a little yeah. bit. But um, uh, that exactly explained the, the, the cultural shock in between two very uh, two countries or continent with very strong um, uh, strong identity. Yeah. So I, I find this interesting. I'm, obviously, I I have met Kunimoto-san, who was your boss back then. Um, a couple of times, and I know, you know, a little bit of how he ticks in that kind of regards as well. So, when you get these projects, and let it be the K car project, let it be the evolution uh, that you've shown them in Tokyo, I think it was 2018, 2017? 2017. How does this start? I mean, like, does, does someone like Kunimoto, who's a Japanese executive, so um, he knows what obviously Japan is all about. He There, there is a cultural difference with Europe. So how does he do that? Does he just come up to you and says, like, you Europeans, you interpret what we think, what you think is Japanese? Or does he say, like, I send you two of my Japanese guys as well for you to get the essence of Japan? I don't know. Does he send you to, to Japan, to Okazaki or the Tokyo Studio to do it there? Or, like, how can you, like, how is it for us to understand, like, how this works? Because these, if, to our listeners, if you've ever been to Japan, you will know how just massively different it is. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, basically, we also, uh, Mitsubishi also have uh, studios, uh, big studios, in one in Tokyo and a big one in, in, uh, in the headquarter. So all the studios were working on that project, mm -hmm. even uh, including us in Europe. And Kunimoto-san wanted to, uh, to have at least at the beginning of the project the core essence of the uh, each culture. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, um, uh, then when you finale the, the, the project afterward uh, in the process, you can mix, you can also take some 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 other things from even from Japan or, or Europe. 
But in this case, for that car, it was completely done uh, with our designer mm-hmm. uh, in uh, the studio in Germany. Mm-hmm. It was actually a Germ- German designer. And uh, and the second pro- the second one was also uh, with uh, a, a one of our designers for the exterior. Mm-hmm. But actually, the, the the designer in our studio did the exterior and the interior of the car. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting. Uh, then the car for for process reason because it was presented in Tokyo, so the car had to be actually yeah. developed in in in, uh, in Japan. But um, that where actually. Throughout the process, you can see how you can blend this culture mm. uh, together. How you can, um, of course, it starts from a very, uh, let's say, bracket, uh, very European uh, uh, flair, and then then comes in the the, the Japanese flair into mm. it uh, when you model to the end of the project, and that makes the project very interesting mm. in that respect. If you take obviously all this experience that you've had so you've worked in in japan uh, obviously on numerous occasions with traveling back and forth you've done a stint in korea as well yeah um you've worked in in russia you've worked for an extremely french company in Renault, <laughs> um, and you've worked for a chinese company in germany now if you sum this kind of experience up what is the lead kind of direction when it comes to design nowadays is it is it really like you know soaking up all this culture that you have around you is it about the team that is actually fundamental so just to say like you know for us to understand what we can do as a team needs to understand we as a team need to understand the culture and this is you know i've I've spoken to design managers in the past who have said it's oftentimes more interesting to speak to somebody who's let's say french comes to germany and then interprets what German is rather than a German interpreting what German is. Um, is What is the kind of best advice you could give to somebody, you know, to kind of take these experiences all together to really then say like, this is for what the brand is in like French, Chinese, Japanese or whatever is, is really what makes this kind of car. Because otherwise we would just say the Japanese would only have Japanese designers that design Japanese cars, but it's not the reality. So, what what is that kind of advice that you can give to make a let's say a French car or like you know a German car and stuff like that? Well, how would you do that? Um, of course, uh, I understand your question, but I I didn't really experience that in that perspective. Um, when I was at Renault, um, it was in France. We were dis- designing Renault cars, and so the, the, there was not so much a, a cultural shock. Of course, the team in Renault at Renault is is huge. Uh, so many different. Uh, uh, nationalities in yeah. there, so it's already blended somehow mm-hmm. in the studio. Even if it's in Paris, it's in France, it's for French cars. Um, so the designer can actually grasp also that that cultural, uh, even for a foreigner, uh, for a Russian designer, for uh, English designer, whatever, uh, even German designer. A lot of different nationalities. I cannot say all of them; it was too long. But um, they they can also, they can grasp because they are physically in France. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this, uh, f- during my experience at Mitsubishi, uh, it was in Germany for a Japanese company, mm-hmm. uh, where we had also a very different uh, national di- different nationalities in the very tiny studio, yeah. uh, ten or eleven different national nationalities, and that also make uh, resolve somehow the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I follow your yeah. question, so. There's not so much how to guide the team to 
to grasp the culture. The, the, I would say the opposite. Yeah. I think it's interesting to have these different nationalities and then they bring all their own feeling, their own uh, essence, their own DNA into it. And then we can actually play with that after yeah. in the process. Yeah. We can actually blend. Uh, we can probably find out that this is a very interesting um, interesting flair. Uh, okay, it's got a bit more like European flair, mm -hmm. but if we blend that with that Japanese or whatever uh, cultural flair, yeah. then we will come up <laughs> with, with a very interesting uh, product. This kind of mix uh, can be also uh, uh, enriched, the, the project, let's say. Yeah. And what, what I always find fascinating is coming back to like, you know, Russia, going back to Japan as well. When your designers in particular, let's say, you know, the German designers, like, you know, the, the guys that were based in Germany went to Japan for the first time. Did you realize there was a change in how they managed their work or like, you know, how they like, you know, what, what, what kind of sketches they came up with? Because they've, let's say they interpreted the idea of Japan when they were in the German studio, maybe have not been there before. And then after the first or second business trip, meeting the guys in Japan, experiencing Japan, experiencing the culture, the food, everything that goes along with it. Did they change afterwards? Did they, did they get to the point of where you realize it's like, no, they, they, they see Japan differently now. And the same, obviously for Russia, for example, as well. Sure. Um, of course, it's, it's, it's always a very, very uh, good experience for the, the designers or the team to actually traveling in the country, uh, concerned country. Um, I I don't think there is a, a, a genuine change. Let's say mm -hmm. you still, uh, as a designer, you have your own personality. You will still designing the thing that are coming from your guts. Let's yeah. say, but of course you can when you think or when you, you can also adapt or, or sometimes unconsciously uh, they, they they do adapt a little bit or they, they ask, oh, yes, if I take this, what I saw or what I could understand and I put that a little bit in my sketch, it's very specific to a project. It's mm -hmm. very specific. And then that it comes interesting. Of course, you can notice a, a, a little bit of a change, but I think it's important. The, the main question is not so much changing that. It's, it's, it's important for the designer to keep his own personality. Mm -hmm. If you manage to standardize somehow uh, all the designers to some some cultural um, uh, target or something, yeah. then you are not keeping all that richness that you can mm -hmm. have from your whole team and uh, all of your team. Sorry, so that's that's for me important. I I always in my management really try to 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 ask my team. Okay, just be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Keep uh, keep being yourself. It yeah. is very important. That's exactly what I want. I saw your portfolio. We hired you. We know what you're capable to do, and that's what we liked. Yeah. We, we liked. So, uh, of course, they can stay there themselves and adapt to the project or adapt to the culture a little bit. Still, very interesting. Probably more interesting. Uh, yeah. I would say that's something I will always attach attention to. Yeah. Uh, I want to challenge you on one thing um, a little bit because. I have this theory. I've, I've written this down in a little article very recently. And I said, um, the question, of course, in the future will be based on budgets, all these kind of things. If car companies will even be able to afford satellite studios, such as Mitsubishi has the one in Frankfurt. They have one, I think, in um, the US as well, like a small production studio. Um, but obviously, you know, this, this will not just apply to 
someone specific Mitsubishi, we can just use them as an example, but to anybody. Do we need these foreign satellite studios in that sense? And in regards to the cultural input from outside also to the inside, I mean, it's almost like a consulting idea that, you know, you bring someone in from the outside to give you a different view on stuff like that. Um, do you think, and then we talk about design as a business, of course, as well, that these studios will have a long-term value or do you think that things maybe change that you have, you know, people such as yourself, consultants that, you know, travel, get to the clients and like, like this is what we can do. Um, and that these satellite studios may become obsolete to a certain degree or become just temporary. You go to one place for a certain kind of, uh, you know, direction, because it seems like from what you have just said, this kind of new ideas, this, this different view on something is fundamental to achieve a development, yeah, to achieve an evolution and sometimes even a revolution. But combined with the budget problems, you know, is that even feasible? I mean, like, you know, will we be stuck in something that is very generic or what, what's the best way to move forward to kind of mix that? I don't think there's one, one uh, obvious answer to this. Mm. Um, this is very particular and to, to, to a, or specific to the concerned OEM. Mm. Uh, if I take the example in Russia, which is very uh, illustrative, in, in that sense. Um, in Russia, the problem was very different. It was mm -hmm. not so much to actually have a, 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 a satellite studio for the sake of a stat satellite studio. The problem was to actually attract talent. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a very difficult task to, to do if we just keep a studio in Togliati, where is the headquarter. It is a, a city which is uh, in the middle of bracket of nowhere in Russia. <laughs> Uh, no one wants to go and work there. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to actually attract the people to work there. Um, there's also a, a salaries condition, which are not the same if you do something in Moscow. Mm -hmm. uh, Moscow is a very more expensive city yeah. than Toliati, for instance. So the, the target, uh, the, 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 the target was just to make the studio in Moscow to attract talents. Mm -hmm. That was the purpose of it. Um, now Mitsubishi, it's a long story. Uh, Renault, it's also a long story with Satellite Studio. And I don't like to say Satellite Studio so much. Uh, I think it's part of the, as a mainstream, mm -hmm. uh, uh, because Satellite Studio, it's sometimes, oh, that's kind of remote studio. They don't do so much, but, yeah. uh, or they do something very local. No, they also work on, on the main, on the main, uh, project as a competition with the main studio, as this in the inside mm -hmm. competition in the company. Um, so Renault, um, uh, of course, globalization uh, started to be very important when I started my career. It was in 99. Yeah. And then Renault was still some sort of a regional or, or, or just one country. Yeah. Uh, the, the, or It was very important in Europe market, but not so much uh, abroad uh, in, in yeah. another continent. Renault is not even in, uh, in America. Yeah. Um, so they, the Renault at the time started to make a studio uh, in Barcelona mm -hmm. uh, because it was kind of a trend. Uh, other brands did the same thing. Yeah, it was Wagen, CGS, yes, and so on and so on. It was interesting at the level of uh, Europe, in, yeah. uh, the European scale. Um, and then it developed uh, more and more th uh, afterwards. Uh, Renault uh, took on uh, Renault Samsung in Korea. Mm -hmm. They had already their own studio. And Renault decided to uh, actually keep the studio uh, because it's also important to be in place mm -hmm. to, under to understand because 
once again, uh, Renault, uh, Renault Samsung is a very local brand yeah. only in Korea. Yeah. So it was very important to be in there to also understand that market. Um, then Renault made another studio in Paris, but that was a bit more like a vitrine of, mm -hmm. of Renault design. Um, and, uh, there, there were also, uh, I worked there, so I, I know exactly what, I, uh, what the purpose of the studio was. Um, and uh, we have uh, Renault lately made a studio in India because mm. there was also a lot of projects in India and China now. Uh, I think that is that is still important to have at least part of your team that you can actually exchange mm -hmm. the, the the pool of designers. So uh, people from from France, for instance, uh, they can actually uh, travel for two or three years mm -hmm. uh, and then get the culture. And People from the studio or Chinese designer or whoever can also go to France. Mm -hmm. And Renault did that a lot with Nissan straight from the beginning, I remember. Um, that was very interesting. And Nissan is the same thing. They have the studio in London. They have the studio in America, uh, also in China. Uh, there's many studios. Uh, now, of course, it, it costs money. Mm -hmm. uh, but design at the scale of the company does not really cost that much, actually. Yeah. So it's it's. I, I don't think... Um, Unless you have a, a major difficulty, uh, I don't think that would disappear. Mm -hmm. Maybe you will probably adapt a little bit more because design will also evolve in the future. Uh, we don't know. Uh, a lot of companies are struggling for the time being. What would be the future of the car industry? Uh, uh, we are. We can already see a lot of things happening out there. Uh, EVs, all these startups in China, uh, even startups, Chinese startups in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot. Uh, we never seen that before. It's amazing what's going on now. Um, and it's also very interesting. Uh, maybe some of them will not survive. Maybe some of them very be, will be very successful. Uh, and, and I hope because it is also very important to keep a very strong competition uh, yeah. level everywhere uh, in the world. So um, I'm, I'm pretty much enthusiastic uh, uh, with, with that kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, yeah. movement. Uh, I don't think satellite in studio will disappear so much. That's my own my own uh, observation about it. But do you think there will be as many? Do you think there will be maybe a a reduction of the amount of um, non non home based studios? Putting it that way, it can happen. Uh, um, it can happen, of course. If really uh, the company struggles with financial uh, and needs to actually uh, cut down uh, drastically, it can happen. Uh, of course, uh, with the, the different nationalities that you already have in your studios, even in the headquarters studio, um, you could you could manage. Honestly speaking, you can also manage uh, and do the job. Uh, I'm pretty pretty much confident with yeah. that. But as I said, that exchange, uh, mm -hmm. that rotation of designer inside uh, these different market with with satellites with the. the the, the privilege of a satellite studio, it's something quite valuable. I think it's, it's important to keep that in mind, especially for a global company worldwide, you know, Renault, all these companies now, it's global. So um, I don't think, yeah, it, it will probably not disappear, like, like maybe less or the newcomers will also uh, show um, a, a lot of different approach to it. I, I know that you are not just a little bit, but you're quite a petrol head as well. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not like you don't like cars. Like you, you do enjoy the, the car culture itself. So we have always been just been talking very much about social culture. So, you know, how does a surrounding in 
you know, affect you and like, you know, how you do stuff. So I want to ask you something because this is always something that I find so extremely fascinating. When, uh, when you, when you guys designed the evolution, yeah. And obviously everybody was just like, is that a new Evo coming back then? Because it has this, like, you know, the same name and everything. So when you, design a car and the, 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 the EV evolution can be an example for this, but do you look into local car culture? I mean, you know, if you look into Japan and, you know, especially Tokyo and you have all these crazy tuners, you have, you know, the, the, the Rauwelt-Begriff, uh, Porsches there, like, you know, very unconventional, but very, um, very bullish in that kind of yeah. sense of what they do with car design, car culture and all these things. Um, how do you look at that when you when you do a car? I mean, like Russia is very similar. Russia has a very extreme car culture as well, um, especially with old cars tuning to a very high level. Do you really look into that? Is that a, a you know is that from a cultural perspective and an inspirational point, or you know, let's say in Japan you don't look too much in this kind of side, and you have like the skylines and the and the, the Evos, but you rather look more towards the the day to day K cars in that sense. Is is that something that really brings you in, or uh, of course we are looking at it. Um, of course, it's not a base of inspiration, but it's an interesting uh, example how you could understand the, the culture. Mm -hmm. You, you talked about tuning. Of course, as a designer in OEM tuning, sometimes we are looking at that. Uh, okay. Um, but, um, I mean, like, you know, just to add to that, I mean, tuning nowadays goes very far. If we look into, yes. like, you know, RWBs, like the Rauwelt Begriffs, uh, are, are technically tuning, but, you know. Tuning, it's, it's very, uh, it can actually, it communicates a lot about the culture. Yeah. If you look at the tuning cars in Japan, It is very specific to Japan. Yeah. You can yeah. see the tuning cars in America. It's very specific to them. They are very different. It's a complete different approach. Uh, tuning in Europe, for instance, different in between within Europe. Also, mm -hmm. it's very different. Uh, tuned car in Germany are not the same car they can find tuned in France yeah. or, or, yeah. or UK. Um, and that tells a lot about, uh, let's say petrol heads, mm -hmm. uh, uh, bring their own tuning. It also say a lot, uh, how, Uh, car lovers, yeah. uh, 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 what the car lovers have as a uh, in the guts uh, mm -hmm. to 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 about cars. That's where I, I, I yes, I look at it in that perspective. Of course, it's not so much to replicate that. Something, but if you see, if you look at in Germany, often I never really seen completely crazy tuned car. Yeah. Often it's a very sober, very. Um, Uh, uh, can't, but you can see the car is tuned. Even the, the, the OEMs are doing their own model, yeah, like yeah. AMG or, or the M series, uh, uh, BMW and so on and so on. Um, they are very, very clean. Mm. There's not so many flame or stuff like that in it. Um, uh, it's just bigger, uh, wheel tracks, yeah. uh, bigger fender. And that's it. Yeah. I remember it was very, very, uh, uh, it was a true example with the, E500 Mercedes mm. in the 80s. And uh, that was uh, clearly showing that's the German, somehow the German approach to mm. it. Uh, in France, tuning is a bit more Latin in some, in some <laughs> way. I would say uh, it's probably done much more in a cheap way. Mm. Uh, as, I, as far as I can see, you can see crazy tuning cars, but it does not look well finished. Mm. And because probably the, the people are not putting the same amount of budget mm -hmm. in there. I, it's not because I don't like cars, but it's, it's also a matter of budget. And 
in Japan, tuning is also something very, very, and I can see that Germany in Japan can have some common um, uh, tuning feeling about it. Uh, in Japan, it's also very clean, yeah. uh, quite extreme also with their own Japanese car. You can also see very extreme Porsches, but it's still very clean. Yeah. Uh, it's not like with flame and everything. Uh, whereas in America, you have uh, uh, hot rods. Yeah. It's unique. It's only there you can find this. Uh, you have uh, they, they like to actually uh, uh, pimp somehow the, the oil timers, yeah. and um, and it's completely different approach. And they like to have stickers to have something very uh, flamboyant, uh, and and you don't find that so much here uh, in Germany. Okay, you can see some cars with very color uh, mm. colorful, but it's only one color. It's not so much with with uh, different colors and stickers and all these kind of things. Rarely I did. There, there's something interesting because you just said that. Because if I look back into what Porsche did with the GT3 RS, for example, which was bringing these flamboyant colors in, like, you know, this very venom-like green, um, like the very dark, uh, the orange is obviously one of them, the very dark violet that comes in with that. And I, I find it always very fascinating. This is why I was asking this kind of question. Like, whenever I'm in Japan, I even see like pimped out K-cars, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're taking this something that is very generic, let's put it that way, but make it their own. And that's, that's why I find that, like, you know, that that's where the question comes, especially coming from a, um, from a Chinese or like, let's say a Japanese perspective, because the Chinese don't necessarily have this kind of tuning. They're very straightforward. They're not in that kind of culture. Yet. But in Japan, it seems often just like you, you maybe tone the car down a little bit to give the people more freedom to express that. So you have also as a designer have to understand, I mean, like, you know, if we do, let's say new Evo Lancer or something like that, it's like, how far do we want to go without giving the people or like with not giving the people too much of like to work with, mm -hmm. uh, which seems a little bit with like the Nissan GTR, the new one, like the R35, which was very extreme already. So there was very, let's say, there wasn't as extreme as tuning, like, you know, uh, white bodies and stuff like that, as they have with the R34, R32, 33, and so on and so on. Um, um, yeah, it's true that you can see that in Japan, um, um, they like to tune a lot of these classic sedan. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, if you take the Evo Mitsubishi, it's it's a, it's a normal sedan yeah. that you just uh, beefed up. Yeah. Uh, and with very powerful engine, and then they can, even Subaru was very, is very strong at that. Yeah. Um, and then they managed to actually come up with an icon car, yeah. iconic car. It's very, very uh, interesting. Uh, now, if you talk about Mitsubishi in Europe, yeah. what probably the first car came to the, to your mind is the Evo. Yeah. Or maybe the Pajero, yeah. uh, this iconic. It depends if you're a like Pajero, yeah. you would say Evo, yeah. <laughs> uh, true. Um, even Subaru, you are talking about that. Uh, the Impreza. The Impreza. Yes. Um, and that's very specific to Japan. And then also the success maybe of these cars, they are reasonably cheap. Mm -hmm. you, you can have a tremendous amount of power um, on a reasonably reasonable sedan yeah. with just a huge maybe some huge spoilers and then the car is actually lower bigger wheels and it looks really nasty uh and and that makes the job basically yeah. and and they kind of created an own product by that mm -hmm. in germany they did that also with a m you know how you take a sedan but it was a lot more uh, um not as much flamboyant yeah. than it was for the, these japanese cars it's much more discreet 
course, you have this amazing engine in there from the German uh, OEMs, the Mercedes uh, AMG. You can recognize the car because of the wheels. Yeah. You don't have spoilers that much. Uh, the bumpers are a bit different. Uh, and, and then you have the sign behind and then the exhaust pipe. Yeah. Pretty much tells you, oh, this yeah. is the beast. And uh, in Japan, yes, they like to put a bit, a bit more of these kind of uh, spoilers and uh, racing car uh, uh, features. And, and, but that came very, probably even more like a one product uh, on, uh, with its own icon mm -hmm. with a Japanese approach. It's interesting to, 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 to analyze that, to see that more. Closely, yeah. I mean, say. the Russians have that to a certain degree as well. As well, if you look into the four by four of Lada, I mean, you can even see them here in Germany, and like you know, they were very careful, um, like how to develop it further because it was so iconic. You know, it's, um, I, I you know what, I, this is this is when I when I look into culture nowadays, it's, um, the the European way, like also maybe the German way, but there's there's this thinking about constant evolution, mm -hmm. like we have to develop something for you know forward and. It seems to me that when you look into Japan in particular, but also like, you know, Korea, mm -hmm. they like to break with that. It's almost like, uh, look at the Supras. I mean, look into the, the, the GTRs, like those iconic cars. Like, it's not like they have this traditional evolution mm -hmm. as they would have with an S-Class. Yeah. For example, there there are certain kind of breaks with it, and then yeah. just like just throw it away. We do something different. It seems like, from a thinking perspective, and you can probably say something about this, but they look at also their customer group in a different way. They're just like, look, this is our customer group now. It we don't care if they have bought a Toyota or whatever in the past. Mm -hmm. We have to get this new customer group to buy it, rather than just always looking back. Where I think it seems like from a perspective of the Europeans or how can we keep this custom groove and maybe add another one which makes the evolution a little bit not as aggressive maybe as the the, the, the Japanese do mm, that's true. but that's also uh, um, uh, it's also in your question there is also the, the question of uh, how the OEMs uh, approach uh, the evolution of the products mm. um, in one side uh, in one side the German uh, let's say the German car makers are approaching very with a very consistent evolution mm -hmm. you can you can recognize from mercedes or bmws uh, it's always a, a one step up with the new model you can see the dna it's very strong it's still new enough to mm -hmm. actually this is the new one um and there there is a very consistent path in there that's not so much the culture in japan Uh, they like sometimes just to stop something mm -hmm. and then start something new. And uh, as you could see, uh, uh, Colt for Mitsubishi, uh, that model stops. Yeah. Uh, and then they came up with another another car. Um, uh, Pajero, what would come in next? Mm -hmm. um, that you probably never seen that in a, a German OEM. They will, the successful, let's say, like the Golf, for example, mm -hmm. uh, they will keep going. Uh, that car still sells a lot and then uh, um, with a very consistent uh, uh, evolution to it. Uh, and that's that's also, I remember at Mitsubishi, uh, sometimes we wanted to, in one side, we wanted to, it was also part of the company to really uh, foster the uh, consistency. But 
when we came with our own project from European side, we were very consistent. And the Japanese also were not so comfortable with with that approach. They said, right, it's probably too much the mm-hmm. same car. Uh, or it's not new enough, or it's not new, uh, it's not a complete new, uh, uh, even if we call it with the same name, uh, we would like to go further, not not especially in modernity or yeah. something else, just going further, something different. Sorry, yeah, you... yeah. Does that cause problems for you? I mean, like, you know, in, in, can, in the mindset? It can be, uh, that's where you have to adapt to the yeah. culture. That's where uh, you can have sometimes some frictions. Um, you can adapt very quickly, depending on your sensibility yeah and that's that's uh, yeah uh, i i was also confronted to that uh, strongly um because if we are talking it's 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 exactly how the word i interpret it yeah. when, when if the japanese come to you and say we'd like to do something more consistent oh great we have experience in that mm-hmm. as a european uh, yeah. But it's not the same meaning in their mind <laughs> than or the meaning in our mind. Yeah. That's where we need to understand that context. Yeah. That's the most difficult part of it. That's really interesting. Um, do you think, and this is a little bit of a hypothetical question, do you think that part of the Japanese culture, this kind of ability to cut with things, should should be used by... Europeans, Western companies more often? Do you think it would help them to have a a better evolution? I mean, like, you know, Chris Bengel famously obviously said, um, we should have an evolution than a revolution, yes. which means like you have a 10-year frame, like how he argues, and after 10 years you start something from scratch almost. Like you can keep the name, but just start from scratch. Do you think that that is more radically Japanese in that sense? Um, maybe yes. Um, uh not completely either. It's a quite tricky question because uh, it's also specific to the, the car maker uh, problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes can they afford to, to keep going like that? Is are the sales are still good for for the for that uh, uh, evolution or mm-hmm. for that model? Um, that can be many things uh, coming into place to really decide what will do the next step. Um, when Japanese talk about, oh, yes, we'd like to have a bit more consistency because it comes from an obvious, uh, uh, let's say, uh, core uh, design aspect. Consistency help to actually develop your brand, mm-hmm. to have a stronger brand, uh, to have also uh, better uh, loyal customers. Um, that's 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 where the consistency mm-hmm. is key. Um, and they want to have a little bit of that just to uh, develop uh, the product in that respect. But they come also with their own culture where, you know, they come into conflict. Yeah. And they want still to do something from this perspective, mm. uh, something more different. Um, and then, then we said, yeah, but that's probably too different. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to consolidate your brand... Uh, uh, and that's why uh, uh, Mercedes, Volkswagen, BMW, they have a very, very strong brand yeah. globally. And that's made their authority. When I say authority, it's because people want that. Now, the, the, the customer, they have that in, a, in their mind as, 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 a, as an icon. Yeah. I mean, the, the brand becomes more an icon than the, the car. 
And often uh, when you listen to people, how they talk about cars, many other uh, car makers and lots of Japanese, they are, they're not even saying the name of the brand. They just say the name of the model. Mm -hmm. But here, uh, if you talk about the Volkswagen, you say Volkswagen, you yeah. say BMW, you say Mercedes, yeah. because that's still the, 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 the brand. And you don't get confused. And sometimes in the marketing uh, uh, department, they have to struggle with that. How we can actually make sure that this model is from our brand. Yeah. And, and they have that problem. That's why they, they try to, to, uh, to, to get more consistency to, to really value the brand. Mm -hmm. that, that, also, that is great that you explained this because that also explains to me why Japanese car companies don't have a face. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you, you see a car and you don't necessarily have to say this is company XYZ, whereas if you see like a German car, like Mercedes is a perfect example, mm -hmm. you look into your rear mirror and it's oftentimes a question, you don't know if it's an A, B, C, E class or whatever. Yeah. Culturally, of course, and like, you know, from a, from a design's perspective, this must be even more fun actually, because you don't have that many limitations and like, you know, this is the direction we move towards into, um, but it must be a hell of a job to then, you know, find out with marketing and, you know, especially let's say global marketing, which kind of car works best in which kind of markets, because there is no general face yeah. to that. It was also true with, with European car makers. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, uh, let's talk about Renault, for instance. Uh, when I started at Renault, uh, all the new models were completely new. Mm -hmm. um, each time we made the new, uh, whatever, Scenic or, or Clio. Uh, when I, I arrived at Renault, it was Clio 2. Uh, and then Clio, when you look at the, the history, there's nothing about consistency mm -hmm. there. They were each time a brand new car, uh, which is good which is also very interesting as a designer perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, it's good to say, oh, yes, I have more, much more freedom to actually explore, exploring. And you can adapt as well. I mean, like what happens around you? Exactly. And then, uh, and then you can feel as a designer, maybe uh, much more free to, to do your own uh, taste or yeah. add your own taste to it. And that will be actually looked at and, and, and probably taken in the, in the process. Whereas Mercedes or BMW, maybe uh, at the time, I would say, because now it's a different story, but um, uh, maybe you can feel stuck uh, mm -hmm. to a, that's the way to do it and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then it's always a little evolution rather than a revolution, as Chris Bangle said. Yeah. And Chris Bangle was the first, probably the first guy at BMW to, um, to make a drastic change. Yeah. Remember how... Even the customer were talking about BMW at the time. They wanted to kill him somehow. Yeah, <laughs> <It was a laughs> but they did. He did. Uh, wow. He has to face a lot. I said, okay, guys, if you want to survive, we need to break completely mm -hmm. that, that path and then coming with a new. And then let's, uh, based on that new uh, uh, design, uh, recreate a consist consistency evolution, mm -hmm. a consistent evolution uh, uh, to it. Yeah. And they did. Yeah, and is it, and then yeah. obviously if you continue that and every 10 years you have this revolution, yes. you will have this constant, a very constant kind of development yeah. with these cuts, like, you know, this is the next level. And then it's interesting to see that how Renault actually now uh, came with much more like, a, in bracket, German approach to it, because now the Renault model is much more like an evolution yeah. rather than a complete revolution. And that since uh, Lorenz van der Nacke came uh, 
head of design at Renault, that changed completely. Uh, it was much more like, let's bring consistency into the company. Let's, and, and, and the sales figure were actually better afterwards. So consistency is very important. Which is actually funny because he came from a Japanese company. He came from Mazda yes. back then. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. he, he would have had all the, uh, the right to say, we're going to continue in this Japanese way, but he completely switched it. Um, he switched it around, but, um, yeah. So Thomas, thank you very much for You're taking right. the time, but I know you, you have listened to the podcast before. So you, you, you I, I expect you're prepared. Uh, you obviously as, as a guest get the same three questions as everybody else. And, uh, for our listeners who listen to us for the very first time. So every guest that comes onto the show gets the same three questions having to do with design and some without design, just mm -hmm. about cars in that sense. But, uh, Here we go. Number one, which project that you have not been part of, you would have absolutely been, you know, a pleasure for you to be part of. Could be in any kind of decade, could be any kind of company, anything. And it doesn't have to be a car. I want to say this as well. Like, you know, it can be a car, but it can be anything. Oh, it's, uh, of course, as a designer, we are, uh, we are very curious about many things, car or not cars. Um, If I really would have liked to be part of a project, yeah, maybe Aston Martin Vantage, um, uh, even Aston Martin cars. Um, yeah, it's, it's such, it feels like when you can draw an Aston Martin, it's just something that you can do with this positive feedback, with the pleasure that you can get, you know, out of a sketch or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, I would say that I would have liked, I would have liked to, 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 participate on these yeah. or working on these kind of projects but that's the one yeah. out of cars i i wouldn't mind to be part also in this new uh, uh, new mobility yeah. project flying cars or whatever air taxi mm. i would love to um because it's the future as well you yeah. can be oh yes that's we are building something completely new what will be the the, the success of that we don't know but yeah it's a uh, maybe the 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 disruption is there and then mm -hmm. be part of a disruptive project is also something very attractive. Mm -hmm. All right. Number two, which designer could be anybody you have worked with or, you know, somebody who just inspired you from the outside, mm -hmm. uh, has inspired you the most in your career. Can I say two guys? Sure. <laughs> uh, I will talk about people I, I, I met at Renault. Um, when I started, it was Patrick Lequemont. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, Patrick Lequemont was very, very creative, creative driven designer. Uh, and, and it was also very impressive, you know, okay, uh, shall I, we start at Renault? We really There's a lot of talent there. Mm -hmm. And then there was a lot of creativity. All the show car that uh, came up from Renault, uh, from the 90s mm -hmm. and early 2000 were stunning. And that was a very interesting for me approach to the design, how to really put an entire team of 400 people driven for creativity, mm -hmm. for the sake of the creativity. And that is, wow, um, that was very interesting how to, to structure that. Mm -hmm. And I, I experienced that uh, at the time. And then um, as I will say Lorenz van den Acker, mm -hmm. uh, the, the following uh, uh, head of design Renault after Patrick Lequemont, um, he came with a completely different approach, much mm -hmm. more like business, uh, how you are, I would say in bracket marketing, but mm -hmm. he said, okay, let's, Let's consolidate what we have. Uh, let's go back to the DNA of the brand 
and try to make something that uh, is coherent with the show car and uh, and the lineup. Mm -hmm. uh, and he did that, and and his approach very very maybe cold data somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's uh, we have that problem now. We need we need to go there. Of course, we can bring the creativity, we can bring all the talent in there, but it's a completely different approach. And I also experienced that. And that, well, that was very helpful for me. I really love to, to work with, uh, with them. Mm -hmm. And last but certainly not least, if I give you a blank check, so any money, any money available, which car would you buy? First, give me the money. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, hold on off. It's a lot of cars there. <laughs> of, if, if I really have to speak from, uh, emotional, uh, standpoint, uh, when I see, um, some seventies golden age Italian design, I would, I would certainly go for a Maserati Ghibli, mm -hmm. uh, from the seventies designed by Giugiaro. That's when each time I see that car, I said, oh, What's such a beautiful thing? Uh, I could also say Aston Martin. Uh, if you give me a check for uh, a DB I, I, for I, I, Zagato, like uh, I said, I give you any money you want. That's not a problem. <laughs> a DB for Zagato, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably my, my which which of course is Italian design as well. I mean, it is it is a mix of the two very different culture, but phew, iconic culture. Yeah. Coming back to the culture. So, uh, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Thomas, thank you very much for taking the time. Talk much. to us about car culture, design culture, everything that inspires the design work. And, uh, yeah, appreciate you taking the time. All the best for you as well. I liked it and yeah. I hope to do it again with you soon. Yeah, we'll see. Like, you know, yeah. well, there's probably talks uh, we can we can have. And to all of our listeners, thanks for listening uh, to once again to the uh, Gestalten podcast. Uh, don't forget to give us five stars on Apple, iTunes, uh, podcasts, uh, you know, subscribe to us on Spotify, helps us to get a little bit of recognition and uh, get higher in the rankings. And thanks for listening. And we will hear from, or well, you will hear from us very soon again. Take care.